0: Good morning. Today's scripture is from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 19 through 30. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I have been so looking forward to this passage. Oh, Lord, help us. I I have noticed that, I'll just call them how-to sermons, are no less popular than how-to books. Why is that? Because I think as a culture... We like things that are practical. You know, we, we like someone to tell us exactly what we need to do in order to make our life or our world all that we want it to be. So, so what are we looking for? Somebody give me some action steps for growing my marriage, you know, for improving my parenting, for strengthening my friendships. Don't, don't stand up there, preacher man, pastor man, and, and give me a bunch of religious talk. Tell me what to do. Anybody there? Yeah, tell me what to do. Friends, I have good news for you. The Word of God is exceedingly practical. Exceedingly practical. You won't find a single part of Scripture that fails to make a claim on your life in some way. But listen, the application doesn't begin where you think it might begin with what we're supposed to do on the outside. As right and necessary as that is. Where where does the practical application begin in the word of God? With who we are on the inside. With the condition of your heart the object of your affection, with with what fills you with awe and delight. There's a reason, in other words, that Jesus said the the first and greatest commandment is this, Matthew 22, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If, If your heart is filled with love for God... If as a human being, you you are fueled by a deep sense of awe at who he is and what he's done, then check this out. All the right behaviors are gonna follow. And that is where all genuine growth in the Christian life starts. Not with what you need to do, but with who you need to know. And that's what makes John 5 such a precious, precious gift, my friends. Because right here, in this passage, Jesus, the Son of God, gives gives us a a glimpse of the majesty of his person and work in the context of the eternal order and operations of the triune God. Speaking of this passage, J.C. Ryle observes, these verses begin one of the most deep and solemn passages in the four gospels. They show us the Lord Jesus asserting his own divine nature, his unity with God, the father and the high dignity of his office. Nowhere does our Lord dwell so fully on these subjects as in the chapter before us and nowhere does, we must confess, do we find out so thoroughly the weakness of man's understanding? There is much we must all feel that is far beyond our comprehension in our Lord's account of himself. To which I say, there's nothing better. Amen, Barb. (laughs) There's nothing better, friends. Nothing is more needful than that. Nothing is more practical than that. Nothing is more satisfying or perspective-altering or life-changing than having your soul transfixed by the unsearchable greatness of Jesus. Because John Owen was exactly right. Let us get it fixed in our minds that this glory of Christ and his divine human person is the best, the most noble, and beneficial truth that we can think about or set our hearts on. Do you believe that, friends? That there's, there's nothing more practical or needful or good for your soul than to have your heart and your mind transfixed on the glory of the Son of God. That's what this whole passage is about. And context here is crucial. Je- Jesus has just finished making his Jewish listeners hopping mad. Violently indignant. How so? By healing a lame man on the Sabbath... And then justifying, defending his actions in verse 17 by claiming to do the very work of God because he was God. In their minds, that that made him guilty of blasphemy, right? Because there are not multiple gods. There is one true God, Yahweh. And you're clearly a man, Jesus. So how dare you denigrate the Holy One? Our father, by identifying yourself with him. Violently indignant. But but Jesus doesn't back down, does he? He defends himself by explaining the exact nature of his relationship to God the father in verses 18 through 30. And the the essence of his retort, his, his defense is this. Listen, I'm not making myself equal with God in the sense that I'm grasping for a divine identity or authority I don't already have. Nor am I setting myself up as some sort of independent divine individual. I am including myself within the singular divine essence, the one divine identity, not because I am God the Father, but because I am his son. You guys think, by claiming equality with the Father, I'm blaspheming God. I'm stealing the honor that is due Him alone. But listen, I am not. I'm the eternally begotten Son in whom the glory of the Father is most fully revealed. Amen. Another way of saying that is that the theological territory in these verses is the size of the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Okay? It's enormous. (laughs) And I've fluctuated back and forth between joy and terror as I thought about preaching this. But, But I'm convinced the Lord, for all the complexity and depth, there is a singular divine intent in view. Okay? A singular aim. That's this. There's something of which we need to be convinced, friends. There's something right now this morning, God himself with these words wants to convince you of. Not not because, listen, it's implausible, but because it's true. What's that? Jesus is marvelously worthy of honor as the son of God, the father. Lord wants to convince you of that. To the degree you're not, that that Jesus Christ is marvelously worthy of honor as the son of God, the father. Why why is that the case? Well, Jesus himself gives us three reasons. Check it out. Preachers just don't make that stuff up. And each one of them here begins with the simple phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. Okay, so here we go. Why is Jesus marvelously worthy of honor as the Son of God, the Father? Reason one, and I warn you, this first one has four subpoints. The Son of God does the Father's work. Look at verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Only God can do the works of God, Right? So the fact that Jesus does what he sees the father doing tells us out of the gate. He's not just a man, he's God in human flesh. He's a distinct person from God the father who, who possesses the same divine essence and nature as the father. And yet, yet the, the order of their relationship isn't reciprocal It's not identical in both directions. The father doesn't do whatever he sees the son doing. The son does whatever he sees the father doing. In fact, he can do nothing, what? Of his own accord or on his own initiative. The son always acts in obedient submission to the father's divine will and purpose. Now listen carefully. That is not what makes Jesus the son of God. But that is how he relates to the father as the eternally begotten son. They they don't defer to one another. There's a clear line of functional authority from the father to the son. And Kostenberger and Swain put it this way. The father commands, the son obeys. But the son does not obey because he's inferior to the father or under compulsion to do so. He obeys the father because the father's will is his will. And because obedience to the father is the truest personal expression of his filial filial unity, son unity, with the father. And in this sense, listen, the son is equal in authority to the father as the son of the father whose will is always to obey the Father's will. So so how does that work out in practice? Some of us heard that and thought, what? (laughs) Is this philosophy class? No. Now, how does that work out in practice? How do we know? Here's the question. How do we know that Jesus, as the Son of God, doesn't do his own work? He's not a rogue agent, but rather does the work of the Father. How do we know that? Well, Jesus gives us four reasons for that. Starting with the second half of verse 19, each of which begin with the word for. So helpful. First, how do we know he's not a rogue agent? He's doing the work of the father. First, the father and the son accomplish the same mission. Look back at verse 19. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus does not mean that his actions are indistinguishable from the father, okay? The father did not come into the world. He sent his son. The father did not die on the cross for the sin of the world. The son did. But at the same time, friends, there's there's an essential unity to their activity. Such that whenever the father is active, the son is active. And wherever the father is active the son is working. They're they're engaged in the same mission, but both in creation and redemption. To borrow a human analogy, which inevitably falls short very quickly, but I think nonetheless can help. It's a family business. Okay. Second, how do we know he's not a rogue agent? They're doing the same work. The father and the son share the same knowledge, accomplish the same mission, share the same knowledge because the father loves the son. Look at verse 20. What does he do to express his pleasure? Verse 20, he shows him all that he himself is doing. What's that mean? That Jesus is able to do the father's work because the father shows him absolutely everything the father is doing. Think about that. Why is that? The father showing the son everything he's doing. Why is that an expression of love? You ever thought about that? Well, it's because the works of the Father display the perfections of the Father, right? And therein lies the greatest joy in the universe, not, not just for us, friends, but for God Himself. Think about this nothing satisfies the Son. More than beholding the glory of the Father. Okay, it's an example. Big word warning. Okay, can we handle this? All right. It's it's an example, it's a glimpse of intra-Trinitarian delight. Or if you want a translation of that, it's the pleasure of God in God. That amazing. And and when the father shows the son all that he's doing, and the son freely and joyfully participates in all the father is doing, what sort of opportunity are we afforded? What's the payoff for finite mortal creatures like us? The opportunity to marvel at the character and ways of God displayed through the person and work of the son. Look back at verse 20, and greater works than these, he will, the father show him, the son, culminating in Jesus redeeming work on the cross so that what's the point what's the aim what what's the father getting at? what what is driving god the father from eternity past to reveal the fullness of all his cosmic activity to the person of the son your worship your worship friend your worship of the father The ultimate reason that the father discloses his work to the son and the son accomplishes the work of his father is so that we as finite creatures might stand in awe of God and the greatness of God. It's the reason God created you. It's the reason God redeems us and the wellspring of all of it is the Father's love for the Son? Remember that, okay? What guarantees the Son's faithfulness to accomplish the Father's marvelous work in your life isn't your love for God, it's God's love for Himself. It's the father's delight in the son and his faithfulness to disclose to the son all that the father is doing in your life so that the son can then participate in, accomplish and bring to pass all that the father is doing in your life. Third, how do we know he's not a rogue agent? The father and the son exercise the same power. They accomplish the same mission, they share the same knowledge, they also exercise the same power. Look at verse 21. Because Jesus asserts here a prerogative, a privilege, a right, power, for himself that the Old Testament exclusively reserves for God. What's that? It's the power to give life. Power to give life. 1 Samuel 2 verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. That that is, that's on God's resume. (laughs) Not yours. Jesus' Jewish listeners knew that. It's It's why they were so incensed when he said, in the same way the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so too does the Son. And that's a power Jesus Exercise, that's not theoretical. You know, I took a class once, maybe I could do something. No, that's a power he exercised, both physically raising dead people and spiritually healing dead hearts when he walked the earth. And it's a power he continues to exercise today, does he not? When he opens dead, blind, spiritually cold to God hearts and gives you new life through the gift of faith and repentance. And that's a power that Jesus is gonna exercise in a physical sense, very physical sense, once again in the future, on the day he returns. And all who have ever lived are brought back from the dead. We'll look more at that shortly. The application here is not a mystery. If, if you are weary of trying to find life in the ways of this world. Try no longer. Where do we find life? Verse 21. So also the son gives life. Don't keep trying to create it for yourself, friend. Look to Jesus who gives it. They exercise the same power. Finally, why is he not a rogue agent? The father and the son received the same honor. Look at verse 22 and following. Jesus tells us the father has also entrusted him with responsibility, another divine prerogative, <laughs> for judging the universe. Which again is something that the entire Old Testament strictly reserves for God himself. We're going to look closely at the son's judgment soon, but but right now in verse 22, 23, I want you to focus on the father's goal here. Why why has the father entrusted responsibility for judgment to this son? Verse 23, so that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. But remember the context. Angry Jewish listeners who believe they are righteously indignant because they are jealous for the glory of God. To whom Jesus says, you guys say you're angry with me (laughs) because you're jealous for the glory of the Father. But, But listen, guys, if you really care about God's glory... And not your own, you will honor me. Why? Because the Father's eternal plan, his, his unrelenting ambition is for me to receive the same worship, the same honor, the same praise, the same adoration that the Father deserves. That's what Jesus is saying. I mean, it's it's not, oh sorry, I guess I shouldn't have said it that way. No, it's yeah, I should have said it stronger. <laughs> He doubles down. And brothers and sisters, that's that's so important to remember because we need to know that nobody is more committed to honoring the son than the father. In other words, don't think that that God the father, you know, is some sort of corporate board and he puts out this product called the son and he's hoping that enough consumers will be enamored with it, that they only buy, you know, his phone for the next 30 years of their life. God the father is, will see to it that Jesus Christ is exalted. The question isn't if that's going to happen. The question is, are you going to participate in that or resist that? Because if you choose to resist that, friend, your resistance will not endure for eternity. God alone will be exalted on that day. Don't try to swim upstream of the Father's plan for the universe. (laughs) Who do you think you are? You are nothing. But you are an image bearer. You bear his glory. He's he's imprinted you with his beauty and his dignity. Why would you use that to try to set yourself up as some pretend God? Instead of devoting all that you are and all that you have to the one thing you know, we know from the word of God is going to happen. The exaltation of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Don't don't fight that, friends. Run with that. Run with that. If you want to honor the father, you must honor the son. And and think about this. You know, we, we live in such a professedly, religiously pluralistic age, right? What do people say all the, name of, all the time in the name of encouraging religious pluralism? What have I heard so many times? Well, you know, it's sort of the peacemaking move at the end of a conversation. Well, you know, we all worship the same God after all, we just do it in different ways. Ever heard that? Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says that's absolutely impossible. There's only one way to honor the father. You have to honor and trust and obey his only begotten son, not as an inspiring moral teacher or as a mighty prophet like Allah, but as God himself. Why? Because that's what your parents told you who he is? No, because that's who God himself says he is. God God has not permitted us, friends, think of it this way, to worship him in whatever way we desire. Back to the consumer image. You know, I I don't care what product you buy, you know, just give me your money. (laughs) No, 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 no. Good intentions are not good enough for the almighty one. You cannot honor the father unless you honor the son whom he sent. You can't separate those things. You, you, you don't think I, I got this. I can be spiritual and get all those benefits. I just don't have to go to church or believe in Jesus or trust the Bible to do it. Nonsense. It's impossible. You cannot honor the father unless you honor the son. So how do we know the son does the father's work? That He's not a rogue agent. Why? Four reasons. They accomplish the same mission. They share the same knowledge. They exercise the same power. They receive the same honor. That, that's the first reason he does the father's work. That the son is marvelously worthy. Okay. Here's the second. He doesn't just do the father's work. We've seen that. Second, we're looking at a single verse here, verse 24. Another truly, truly, the son speaks the father's word. He does the father's work. He speaks the father's word. Think about this. The fact that the son does the father's work, including this ability to give life to whom he will, is not in and of itself good news for sinners like us. Think about that. Why not? Because it leaves unanswered two big questions. To whom will the son give life? (laughs) Right? And how in the world can I receive it given I have repeatedly failed to honor the son throughout the course of my life? Look at verse 24. Because this is such good news, friends. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is talking here. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Amen. What's Jesus saying? That, that God the Father doesn't just have a plan of salvation. Hey, don't worry about it. It's, it's in my pocket. Trust me. No. What does he do? he communicates to us through the person of his son exactly what we must do in order to be saved. What's that? Two things, two requirements. Though though grammatically I'll have you know, they are written in the original language as a unity. In other words, you can't have one of these without the other. They're two sides of the same coin. Remember that. What do we have to do? Verse 24, we must hear Jesus' words and believe the Father who sent him. Now, you might expect Jesus to say what? I mean, at least certainly I did. We must hear, you know, whoever hears my words and believes my words. But, but he doesn't say that. Do we have to believe the words of Jesus in order to be saved? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm not trying to trick you. Easy question, true answer. Yes, but Jesus is making an even more profound point here. When the son is speaking, the father is speaking. That's what he's saying. So much so that to hear and believe Jesus' words is to hear and believe the father who sent him. So so what is Jesus saying you have to hear? What, What do we have to believe? John 3, verse 14 among others, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, to, to believe Jesus is to trust that he was lifted up for you, friend. That, that when he was crucified on the cross, that, that wasn't just a random fluke. That that was an atoning sacrifice for your sins. And that because he died, now you can live. Not, not because you deserve life from God or with God, but because Jesus earned it for you. And that through faith and repentance, you, you can exchange your rags for his riches, your death for his life. And if you've done that, Christian, then no two things are true of you right now. First, you are no longer under judgment. Hear that, friend. Jesus, notice, Jesus doesn't say in verse 24, one day you will not come into judgment, but you know, for now, we're not so sure. So, you know, better play it safe because you could get whacked. No. What does he say? If you have trusted the weight of your life on the Lord Jesus Christ as the only savior, from sin and death, right now, present tense, today you do not come into judgment. Not tomorrow. Not next week. When you look at porn again. If your faith is genuine, friend, and we'll see shortly it must be tested by our works, Today, no, you do not come under judgment. You're not condemned. Praise the Lord for that. You're no longer under judgment. But, but second, hear this as well. You, you've passed from death to life. Oh, just think about this. Oh, man. This is amazing. A cataclysmic change has taken place in you, Christian. And that's not an an exaggerated preacher word. Okay, what what, what has happened to you? You're no longer living in the kingdom of darkness. You've you've been carried across the border by Jesus. You you now live in the kingdom of God. You're, you're You're still sojourning in a broken world. We know that, we feel that, but, but you're doing it as a, a protected citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're, you're kept by God's grace. You're nourished by God's word. You're sustained through prayer and upheld by his people through the presence and power of the spirit. You have received now the gift of eternal life. Notice that it's not just something you're you're waiting to receive in the future on the day you die. It's something you have right now, Jesus says. What, What does that mean? Right now, you get to taste his comfort in your sorrow. Okay, right now, you get his nearness in your isolation. Right now, his faithfulness in your wandering and his power in your weakness. Right now, you get to experience God. Right now, you get to enjoy God. Right now, you get to become more like God, which means Jesus isn't just good news on some sort of final day. He's good news right now. Today, brothers and sisters. And, and through faith in his work, right now, you can know life as it was meant to be. Instead of a mess, we've made it. Jesus is marvelously worthy of honor. Marvelously worthy of honor. As, as a son of God the Father. Why? Because he does the Father's work. He speaks the Father's word. Word of the gospel. And lastly, because we have to stop at some point. Because he wields the Father's authority. He wields the Father's authority. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, aren't you grateful for truth in a crazy world? Yeah, would you just think, does anybody know? what? Jesus knows what's true. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Oh man! Oh man! How is that going to happen? How, what? What? Think about this. What enabled Jesus to physically raise Lazarus from the dead in John eleven? What, what enables Jesus to, to raise us from spiritual death today? What, what will enable Jesus on the day he returns to raise the body of every man or woman who has ever lived back to life? Two things. First, the father, look at verse 26, has eternally granted the son, the self-existent life he himself enjoys. Oh man, I mean, it's like as human beings, we, we just don't have a category for that kind of existence, right? Because we're what? We're contingent beings. We're, we're dependent on something, someone outside of ourselves to give us life. But you, you can't make yourself live a single day longer by sheer force of your will. You can't do that. You're not self-existent. Not so the son of God. He he has life in himself. Just like the father. He always has. He always will. That's why he can raise the dead. Second reason Jesus can do that. The father has given him authority to exercise judgment. Look at verse 27. Because he is the son of man. He's given him authority. Now, here again, we've got to be really careful. Okay? The fact that the father has given Jesus' authority to judge the universe does not mean there was ever a time when he lacked that authority. Okay? Why not? Because he's the eternally begotten son. Be careful. Jesus' authority, we gotta be careful as we think about this, that the fact that the father gives it And the son receives it, doesn't reflect an inequality of rank, but rather a functional order of relationship. And it's a relationship the prophet Daniel witnessed in Daniel 7, verse 13. Listen, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Same title. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying, oh yeah, that's all on my resume too. (laughs) But don't marvel at my title. Notice that. Marvel at what I'm going to do on the last day. Look at verse 28. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Why do we even pretend that we're God? (laughs) Ah, The insanity of sin, friend. What what can your voice accomplish? (laughs) I mean, I've got a microphone, you know? What what can my voice accomplish? What can can a human voice accomplish? Can you speak worlds into existence? Can you declare the end from the beginning? Can you still the raging sea? Can you awaken a dead heart? No. But Jesus can and Jesus does. Psalm 29 verse four, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And on that final day, King Jesus is going to simply speak the same word that he spoke to Lazarus, come out. And every human being who has ever lived will rise before him. Not as as ghost or some CGI thing where spirits, but, but, but as a living, breathing human being. Black and white, rich and poor, summoned to the greatest size. You you will stand before Jesus on that day, friend. And you, not your parents, not your pastor, you will be judged on the basis of your works. If you have done good, Jesus says, What's that? Living an obedient life of repentance and faith toward God? You will experience a resurrection to life. If you have done evil, try, trying, to, trying to create life for yourself by, listen, either keeping all the rules or breaking all the rules, you will experience a resurrection of judgment. His point is that, that nobody just gets to kind of fade away into oblivion or some sort of eternal slumber, all hear his voice, all rise, and only those who choose to follow Jesus in this life will be saved on that day. The whole point of this passage in so many ways is that no matter what you think about Jesus right now, what you choose to believe about him, some of you even think, I don't I'm not even sure this guy exists. Here's the reality, friend. You cannot forever avoid dealing with him. Because the Son of God is the gravitational center of the universe. He, he's, he's the one who created all things and, and upholds all things and is returning to make all things new. What, what's Jesus' bottom line point? I am marvelously worthy. As the son of God, the father. Why? Because I do the father's work. I speak the father's word and I wield the father's authority. So how do we respond to that? In case it is not already exceedingly practical in your mind. How do we respond? Well, Jesus has already told us it's, it's loaded with application. Marvel at him. Do you see that? Yeah, 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 I, I know, Pastor, but tell me something that I, I should do. Like, give me a give me a list. Okay. Has one thing on it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Marvel at Jesus. Don't don't spend your days making much of yourself. Or all the people whose opinions you're terrified of. Make much of Jesus. Meditate on the splendor of his person. Think long and hard. Learn words that you don't know the definitions yet. About the ways he's gloriously unlike you. Stand in awe of him, friend. Not your friends at school. Praise him for making a way for us to receive the gift of eternal life and be delivered from the judgment to come and resolve to honor him okay, by, by listening to his word, believing his word and doing what it says. We're, we're, this is gonna happen to us over and over again in the Gospel of John, which is why I can't wait to keep going through this book. We, we cannot begin to comprehend the full glory of our creator. But, but what we do glimpse here is enough to merit eternal praise eternal praise. And remember as we work through this book friends, if we don't exalt the son of god, the rocks are going to cry out. Let's let's not be a people who need the rocks outside that front door to sing the praises of Jesus Christ. He made you to do it. Let's do it now. Lord, we pray. We pray as we sing to you right now, the risen Christ, that you would cause us to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Banish all blasphemous small thoughts of God. Replace them by your word with a holy awe and wonder. At the majesty of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that whether or not we see you as marvelous tomorrow morning, when our eyes are so sleepy and the coffee doesn't taste good, that you remain the same every day, every moment, marvelously worthy. Help us to sing rightly to you in light of who you are. Amen.